studying something interesting this morning with Hosea. I don't know how many, how many of you have ever done a study on Hosea? How many have done, okay, Hosea studies? I am not an expert on Hosea. Uh, I have not taught it before, so it took me a little bit longer this week to put some notes together. And that's one of the reasons I teach is because it forces me to delve in deeper. If you ever want to really learn something, volunteer to teach because then you got to figure out what you know and what you think you know you know. Um, what we've been looking at, what did we look at last week? Anybody remember? What was it we studied last week? Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. What was the one we studied before that? It was Genesis with what? With Jacob and Rachel. So what we're looking at is a unit of work around... Uh, holy events, sacred gifts, and so forth. We looked at the gifts in December. We're looking at these sacred gatherings or these holy gatherings in this month. So it's going to be four weddings and a funeral that we look at. We've looked at two weddings so far. We're getting ready to look at this wedding in Hosea. We're going to look at the wedding um, next week is the wedding in Cana where Christ Change the, changes the water into wine. And then we're going to look at a funeral. I bet you could guess which one. Funeral of a friend of Christ. I think it's on Lazarus. I didn't look, but when I saw the title, I'm sure that's what it is. Why would God use marriage in these symbolic ways, in some of the what we're studying? In other words, why this unit? Why is it important around marriage? How does God see marriage? I just want to remind us of why we're studying this unit, what the broader piece is. Well, how's God see marriage? We are the bride of Christ. Where does it state that, by the way? I had to go look that back up myself to remind myself. In Revelation, yeah, in Revelation, I think in about 15 or 19, somewhere in there, uh, it states that we are the bride of Christ. When it says that, why is that so important? It's because... God sees the covenant of marriage as the most sacred thing we can do as a covenant other than our covenant with Jesus Christ. Our covenant bond, and, and, and both of them are really pretty much the same thing in, in his viewpoint of how we're coming to the Lord, but in this case, uh, it really is all about God saying, I see this covenant, this thing I call marriage, as so important that when I use it in Scripture, it's like in the New Testament. How did Christ in the New Testament, when he really wanted to make a point, what did he always start with? Verily, verily, which stands for truly, truly. How would we say that today? Pay attention, this is really important. That's what, I mean, we would say that type of thing. So when God uses marriage, he's going, what I'm getting ready to tell you is really serious because I see this as a very important covenant. And so when I use it symbolically, it means something. So here's the question. How would you feel, men, if you got a directive from the Lord to go out and marry a prostitute? If you got a direct postcard from God saying, I want you to go marry a prostitute, you knew that it was from the Lord. What would be your first thought? Why? 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 Wouldn't you? You know, mine might be, 
No, Lord. You know, you've heard the Cosby thing, right? Where the, the guy's over the cliff and, and, and he's hanging on and he goes, Lord, help save me. And, and uh, he's hanging really tight and he hears this voice from above saying, let go of the branch. And you know what? Remember what the guy says? Is there anybody else up there, Lord? <laughs> I don't like that suggestion. It's the same thing here. It's I don't like the suggestion. You want me to go do what? How many of you in your lives have ever had the Lord ask you to do something that doesn't make sense? How many of you? And you, how did you react to that? Not well. I've been there. I've had some of these. But in perspective, in looking back in 2020 hindsight, what's your perspective now? Has God given you a different perspective? He doesn't always. It may be later, maybe into eternity before we see that. But have you had a different perspective to go suddenly, oh, I see why, Lord? I, just as a real quickie, I mean, I had one where I was asked to, to what's that? Oh, I thought so. Uh, I, I had somebody ask me, or I, I, the Lord asked me to, to assist this man who was in college financially. I did not have the wherewithal to do so. And I, but it was such a direct suggestion from the Lord that I said, it is, you know, I know it's from you. I just don't get it. Why would you want me to go into further debt to help this guy? And the whole story, when it plays out, made it very clear why that was the case. In fact, he wasn't asking me to go into debt. He was asking me to step forward in faith. There were just some other things. It's that type of thing, though, that happens to Hosea here. I just want you to think about if you were in Hosea's shoes and God asked you to do what he asked Hosea to do, how would you react? And there will be things in your life that are similar that he asked you to do, and you go, why? I don't get it. Why would you do this? So... Uh, background, Hosea's ministry. Hosea was the first minor prophet in the books, right? So you run through the five major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations are the last three. And then what's the next one after that? It's Hosea, right? And so Hosea, uh, it's Ezekiel, Daniel, those three, and then Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea to start off into the minor prophets. So Isaiah is the first minor prophet. But what makes him minor? Is it because they had something less important to say? Shorter books, just shorter books. Doesn't mean they had anything less important to say. They were just better at writing it down. Um, he was contemporary. His ministry would have started during the reign of uh, King Uzziah. Uh, and King Uzziah is also known. Anybody know this? This is a, a pop quiz. Anybody know the other name for King Uzziah? Because he was called one thing in Kings and another thing in Chronicles. One was probably his birth name. One was probably his kingly name given to him when he ascended to the throne. But it was, uh, it was uh, Azariah, Azariah. So if you see those two names, those are the same person. But it ended, Hosea's ended during the reign of King Hezekiah. So what do you remember? Anybody remember anything about King Uzziah? Anything? Anybody studied the... Kings and the Minor Prophets. I had to go back and look stuff up too. I've studied them and you forget. He reigned for 54 years, long time. He ascended the throne at the age of 16. For the first about 15 or 20 years, he reigned with his father. So there was a co-reigning going on. Eventually it became just him. God struck him with leprosy the last 15 or 20 years of his reign. And so his son stepped in because he could not reign with leprosy. They 
shut him off in another room. He was still king, but he was not really doing that day to day. That was who that was. Um, that was just a quick note I wrote down on him. And anybody remember anything special about King Hezekiah? What happened to Hezekiah at the end of his life? He, yeah, he asked for more time to live, you know. He says, but he didn't say, Lord, I, you got to do this. He simply said, Lord, I want you to use me. If it's in your will, I'd like to live a little longer. He found out, be careful what you ask for, because the last 15 years that he got was not the best 15 years. And it was while he was on his deathbed that King Zennacherib from Assyria, who had just wiped out the northern tribes, had come down to lay siege to Hezekiah in Jerusalem, that Hezekiah prayed this. He said, if it be your will that I could help the people, that I could be part of this. And the king or the Lord not only healed him and gave him 15 more years. By the way, the word that came to him was through which major prophet? Isaiah. He was contemporary to Isaiah. So that we know Isaiah and, uh, and Hosea were at the same time. Uh, but in any case, Hezekiah was there when the Lord struck down King Zennacherib's troops. You remember that story? Remember, they came, laid siege, and the Lord said, we'll talk about this, in this later on, but laid siege, and we'll finish that story here later as we study Hosea. Um, Hosea was contemporary with Isaiah, uh, Micah, and Amos. Hosea's name means, anybody know? By the way, names had great importance in Old Testament times, so everybody would have known what his name meant, but it meant salvation or God saves, literally. So that was the name. And he was the only prophet of all the prophets that what? What made him unique? He was the only prophet to come from the northern kingdom. The only prophet to come from. So again, not important to our story, but for those of you who like Bible trivia, I thought I'd add a little bit in there. Let's look at, let's start off with uh, Hosea verses uh, 1 to the middle part of 3. We'll read just halfway through 3, but I, I, actually we can read all the way through 3 and then we'll just split it off. Bob, why don't you start us on that if you would. All the way through 3. We're good. So what are we told at this front end? What's happening here? Is Hosea, what does a prophet normally do? He normally, prophesies, normally delivers a message, right? Normally delivers a message, maybe prophecy, maybe future events, maybe current. But he's delivering something that says, thus saith the Lord. But Hosea doesn't start off that way. How's Hosea start? It starts with the word of the Lord to whom? To, to the prophet. So this is a personal message to the prophet that's just recorded for us, but really was not something to be stated to the rest of the people. Obviously, he was asked, though, the Lord did have him write it down. So this book is primarily messages from God, uh, where the prophet's the voice. 
This is not the prophet. In, 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 in the prophets, it's not them speaking. Often we'll see Isaiah, Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of them. You know, we'll think, okay, this is what these guys are telling us. But that's not, in fact, the case. When you hear from a prophet in the Old Testament, it's as if you're hearing from whom? God. It is God speaking, using them as the voice piece. But it is the very words of God that the people are hearing. So again, just to put it in perspective, we think of it in terms of what do we do in the New Testament to make sure we, we're reading our, our Bibles correctly? What do we do with Jesus' words? Make them red so that we remember who they are, you know? So you could have made the red words here in the prophets the same way because it's the same thing. It's God speaking. Does that make sense? I just want you to realize again the perspective there. Um, by the way, do you notice that God commands... He does not make direct suggestions. God never makes direct suggestions. He always says, thus saith the Lord. That's how we would see that. Um, Hosea's career begins with not with preaching and prophesying, but with a symbolic action. And what was that symbolic action to be? What was the symbolic action to be? To go marry a prostitute. Yep. A woman of ill repute. A promiscuous woman. But in any case... If you'd have been Hosea, that means that tells us probably that Hosea was single. We don't know that for sure, but we're assuming he was single at this point. Yeah, and as a man, he's going, you want me to do what? And interestingly, all, you know, all the, these names in Old Testament time all had a meaning, and the people knew what these meanings are. We don't do that today, do we? How many of you, how many of you remember or still listen to Car Talk? Anybody know Car Talk? And, and the, the Ray and Tom, uh, the two guys on Car Talk, how many of you knew Car Talk? Raise your hand just so I can see it. Okay, so a few of you. Does anybody remember the name of their company? It was three names. It was three names. Dewey, D-E-W-E-Y. Cheatham, C-H-E-E-T-U-M. And How, H-O-W-E-E. -E, or H-O-W-E. Dewey, Cheatham, and How. <laughs> when we hear that name... That means something to us because we go, okay, I understand that, right? It was exactly the same way back then. I had a classmate in high school. I cannot believe her father gave her this name, but their last name was Nail, N-A-I-L, and her first name was Penny, Penny Nail. Now, anybody who knows, you know, nails are, are that's how they're measured is in pennies, so it's a penny nail. And I just went, what an odd thing to do. But that was normal in Old Testament time. How many of you know what your children's names mean? You know, how many of you gave your children a name because it was biblical versus I know what the name was, I know what it meant? We were that way. Our first child was named Brian, and uh, we just like the name Brian. Brian happens to be, um, I'm trying to think now, I, I think it's, I think Brian comes from a Gallic name, and I think it means noble. Am I right there, dear? Where's my wife? My wife says, she'll remember these. I just thought of these. So, and then we named our, then we had to figure out what to name our twins. We wanted them to have the same first initial, but not sound the same. So we had a PH in there, so it sounds like an F. So it's Peter and Philip. Doesn't quite sound twinny. But Peter means, of course, you guys know what Peter means. Peter means the rock. He is a rock, but, you know, we, don't, we didn't think of him in terms of like that. How many know what Philip means? Philip means lover of horses. So... You know, our kids used to laugh because we told them what those names meant. And they gave, gave each other some grief. But we don't do that anymore. 
But they did that back then, so these names meant something. Gomer, you might want to write this down, Gomer means complete. Implied in most of the work that I read is the belief that God wanted to, to when, when uh, he was to go out and marry a prostitute, he decided to marry a complete one, somebody who was absolutely the one that the entire town, he decided to go all in with the Lord is what I'm telling you. He said, if the Lord wants me to do this, I don't want there to be any question that I have obeyed the Lord. They would have known, looking at the name Gomer, they would have said, yep, there she is. That's her. We know who she is. So there's no question on who Gomer is. That's the first symbolic name. Um, this is unlike, go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, did he marry? What, did, what was Jeremiah's wife like? Jeremiah 16.2 tells us, you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons and daughters. So Jeremiah was told, don't marry. So just an interesting contrast. And interestingly, I, I looked this up from a note I had in Leviticus 21.7. It tells the Israelites later, or, or it, during the time the law was written, that the Levites, the priests from the Levite tribe, could not marry a prostitute. They were not allowed to because of the holiness factor. So obviously we would, we would think that Hosea was not a priest, not of the tribe of Levi, but we don't know that for sure because God could certainly do whatever he wants. Um, and this is a life-changing action. Jeremiah was asked to do something to show symbolically that Israel was spoiled, that they had gone bad. Do you remember what that was? Jeremiah was asked to take a piece of loincloth and bury it. That's in uh, Jeremiah 13, first part of 13, if you want to read that piece. But he was, he was told, go take a piece of loincloth, bury it, and then later dig it back up. And you bury cloth for a while, what's it going to do? It's going to rot. And God says in the same way, this is what's happened to Israel. They've turned rotten. But let me tell you, burying a piece of loincloth and digging it back up is not nearly as life-changing as what Hosea was asked to do. Because Hosea was asked to marry on a permanent basis this person that the whole town would have known. I mean, Hosea, everybody would have looked at Hosea and said, what are you thinking, right? I just want to, again, put in perspective, be in his shoes, think about what he's thinking about when God's asking him to do this. It'll help us the next time the Lord asks us to do something. So the God commands in verse 3, Hosea obeys, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of, of uh, Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So let's go on. We now have got him set up. He's married. He's now going to have children. First one's going to be a son, second one a daughter, third one a son, and all of them symbolically mean something because this is the prophet speaking. This is God speaking through the prophet, telling the nation of Israel. Remember, we're talking about the northern kingdom here. The, the, the kingdoms have split, right? We didn't say that at the front end, but we're, we're about, there's about 320, maybe 340 years of the, of the divided kingdoms before they're both wiped out. Uh, but at the point, you know, you start with David, you go into, uh, who's, the, who's his son? Solomon, just checking, making sure you're with me. So you got David and then Solomon, and then who's the son after that? 
who's the son of Solomon? Rehoboam. And it was at Rehoboam that they split. And the two split down and become the northern kingdom, ten tribes, the southern kingdom, two tribes, right? And we're now following them down, and we're at the point that the northern kingdom is about to be attacked by Assyria. We are right there. This is what's going on. We're just, it happened just after Hosea. Hosea doesn't record it, so we know it must have happened after, otherwise he would have probably recorded it, but we know it was right at that time. So we know we're right at the end of the northern kingdom's time when they're just at their worst. This is the prophet that's come along to tell, tell the northern kingdom how bad you are and what God's going to do about it. Again, just to keep it in perspective. The southern kingdom goes on for another 120, 140 years, something like that. i got to look at my time charts again. But before they get attacked, who are they attacked by? Assyria does the northern kingdom. Who does God use for the southern kingdom? Babylon. Babylon. So again, just to give you a broader perspective, I, uh, I don't want to assume that all of you know the, the history and the timelines. So... Here we are, we're getting ready to have children. Somebody want to pick up and read for me, uh, let's see, let's read. Oh, wait a minute, I got another piece on the note. This is something I want you to know too, that I wrote down just as a reminder. Because you'd look and go, why would God do this to me? We need, we need to always keep in perspective, how does God feel about me? No matter what he's asking me to do, how does he really see me? So let's read some other pieces here in, in uh, Hosea. I wrote down uh, 1 John 4.16 as a first reminder. And it, remember that no matter what, God what? Loves you and wants the best for you. Okay? So we know that. But let's read some verses again. I'll read 1 John 4.16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in, uh, in love in God, then God abides in him. So we know that that's the case, but let's look at some Hosea verses. Bob, would you read I, I, those ones I set up, 11, 1, 3, 4, and 8 first? So, yeah, 11, Hosea 11, verses 1, 3, 4, and 8. So it says, I loved him. When Israel was a child. I loved him. This is God kind of lamenting what's going on. So read 4-3 then. Doesn't it, sound, doesn't it sound like a parent to a child going, don't you realize what you're doing? Don't you realize how I feel about you? Here's a wayward child, and here's this parent going, don't you know I taught you to walk? Don't you know that I led you by the arms? Don't you know that I healed you when you were sick? If you've ever had a wayward child, you'll know this great feeling that God has for Israel. Bob, go ahead and then read four. Do you see that? It is such a great picture of God saying, even though you're wayward, I what? I still love you. Don't you recognize that I'm bringing discipline into your life for your own good, but I want you to know how much I love you. We need to go back and remember these verses next time we ever question how does God feel about us because this is God speaking to us as a child. Go ahead, Bob. Read uh, 8 then. How can I give you Ephraim? 
God says, I, I, I can't believe that I've got to discipline you like this. I just can't believe that I have to do this. How can I do this? Knowing what it's going to mean to Israel. But yet God comes back later and reconciles, right? We're going to see that later. I just want us to broaden the picture of saying, God's asking what seems to be really strange to Hosea. And he's giving Israel some really bad news. But in the midst of all that, God is always saying what? I love you and I want the best for you. Write that down. Circle that out. Remember that always. When it seems like God is against you or is asking you to do something or putting you under a vice that you just go, why? I still love you. I still feel for you. I just think these were great verses, so I pulled those aside. Um, I wrote down... I guess I, I think I wrote down Hosea 13, 14 as an extra verse too. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and beside me there is no Savior. A reminder that your strength only comes from who? God. Not your military might, not your skill, not your money, not anything else. It comes as a reminder again that it's only from me, the Lord. And in 14, 1, 2, and 4, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. I will love you freely, for my anger has turned from them. So again, we're going to look at that later and see how God feels. Again, I just want us to keep in perspective, because you can read through this and go, man, this is really tough stuff. Not if we know that God loves me and God wants the best for me. Okay, somebody want to read for me, starting in uh, verse 4 to, uh, and read through verse 9. Who wants to read? Verse 4 to 9. Hosea, go ahead. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call me to Israel, because I will soon come into the house of Jehu for the massacre of Israel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's vow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her no, no Ramah, for I will not, no longer show love to the house of Israel, but I should Man, this is bad news. These three names. So the first name, Jezreel. How, how many of you know something else about Jezreel? What, what else have you read scripturally? Jezreel is also known as the, it's a city, but it's also the valley of Jezreel. And if you study the geography at all, Israel, in fact, the, the great way to go back and do this, if you weren't part of the study when uh, Terry Fakes led us a year or so ago, from his uh, tour of Israel, he came back and talked about that. But he talks about the four bands. You start at the Mediterranean, you got the coastal plain, then you got the Shephela, which are the lowlands. Then you've got the mountains, the Judean mountains, and then you're back into a valley. That's the valley of the Dead Sea Valley, which is a rift valley that goes all the way down to Africa. So you look across those four bands, you can't travel east to west very easily because of the mountains. But there are certain valley points that you can. The Valley of Jezreel is the northern area where you can travel all the way from Mount Carmel all the way across to the Dead Sea area. 
And in the same way, if you go down about the midpoint, there's the Valley of Elah. We know the Valley of Elah because that's where David fought Goliath. Same valley. Why do you think the valleys had so much activity and battles? Because it was where the armies could go. You know, you could travel through. It's still that way today. You don't travel the tough routes. You travel the easy. So this Jezreel was originally, what that means, by the way, is it means God sows. That's what the name means. <clears throat> and originally it was a reference to the agricultural fertility in that area. It was said that Jezreel, and it's still said that today, is so fertile that God's the one sowing the seed. You know, he's the one doing it. It's that fertile of an area. But it was also known as the place of many battles, the place of many battles, again, because it was where the armies could come through. Interestingly, Jezreel, on the middle to the to a little bit towards the western side, is where Megiddo is located. Anybody know what Megiddo is? That's the Hebrew name. What's the Aramaic name that we see in Revelation? Armageddon. Armageddon. That's where Armageddon, Megiddo, same place, same valley. It's this valley of Jezreel. So what's interesting is God's using a play on what they know. And that is, you saw this as fertility. I'm telling you that I'm going to sow destruction. I'm going to sow your destruction. So that's what the first name means. They would have known exactly what, what he was trying to tell them. How popular do you think Hosea was in town? Not very, not very. You go to the second name, Loami, uh, Loami means not, I'm sorry, that's the third name. Let me go to the second name. Get to my right note here. The second name, uh, Lo Rahama, means, the, the Lo means no or not. Ramaha means, or Rahama means mercy or love. So it either means not loved or no more mercy. Both the same meaning. And what he's saying is national disaster. God is telling the people national disaster is looming. National disaster. Actually, did I get those out of order? No, I've got those in. Okay. So national disaster is looming. The, what you realize is that who is still loved? What's the verse tell us? National disaster is looming on Israel, the northern kingdom, but I still love Judah. And he's saying there's always going to be a remnant. Why will there always be a remnant? Remember that the original, the original covenant, there's a breaking of covenant here that's the issue. The original covenant was with whom? Abraham in Genesis. And that was a unilateral covenant. That was not, Abraham, if you do this, I will do this. It was simply God, if you study that, walking through that covenant relationship with Abraham asleep and seeing this, God did it only himself. It was not a responsibility of Abraham. God's saying, I'm doing this no matter what. He's saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Sands of the seashore, all of that. Versus the covenant with the nation of Israel occurred during the Exodus time. And I think I wrote some of those scripture references down. Let me see where I put those in my notes here. Um, I think that's in the third set. I've gotten myself a little out of sequence here. But go into your third set where under verses 8 and 9. I'll go ahead and fill them in and I'll give you some more information. Lo ami, again, lo means what? Not. Ami means people. 
So this would mean not my people, and that negates the greatest covenant God ever made with the nation of Israel. It says you've broken the covenant. Now don't confuse that with the covenant he made with Abraham. That's why there's still a remnant. That's why Judah is still loved. That's why he still holds on and, and brings that along so that the line, that stump of Jesse that's talked about that comes to, to be Christ is coming along. But he's saying to Israel, you made a covenant with me, and that's, if you follow those Exodus 9-5 and Exodus 24-7 and the Deuteronomy 7-6, I'll read those real quickly. Exodus 19-5. Now, therefore, this is the Lord speaking, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. God's saying, if you do this, then I will do this. And the people in 24-7, if you've studied this, say, then he, that's Moses, took the book, the book of the covenant, actually called the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and the people said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So God says, if you do this, I will do this. People say, what? We'll do it. We will. God has now come along to Israel and said, you have broken your covenant. Therefore, I'm negating. You are no longer my people. That's what he's telling him here. How would you feel as a nation of Israel recognizing that's what he's saying? He's saying, not my people from lo ami, and he's saying, um, you will no longer be blessed. You will no longer fall under my help. You will no longer fall under my care. Now, again, he negates that later, and we pick that back up. But they're going, whoa, I can't believe what you're doing. But again, he reminds us immediately, but Judah is still loved. The remnant is still there. Does that make sense? Do you see what he's telling Israel? You've gone so far that it's too far. He allows Assyria to come down. And when it, that reference to breaking the bow, what would the bow have been? That would have been their military might. And he's saying, I'm going to break your military might and the Assyrians will take you over, and they're going to scatter you. So it's a prophecy. That happens fairly soon after this prophecy is made, about 50 years. So um, see what else I wrote here that you might find of interest. No, let's move on because we're going to run out of time here. So he's told them, I will not have mercy on you any longer. You know, you've gone too far. You are no longer my people. But then he comes right back around, and we see later this in... In Hosea, Hosea is told, what's his wife do, by the way, to finish the story of Hosea? What's his wife do? He's taken her in. He's married her. They've had children. She still turns around and is a prostitute again. God says, I want you to go take her again. I want you to take her back as a wife. And he's going, what? What? It was bad enough the first time, you know? Now they know she's done this to me, you know? So he's going, okay. But again, Hosea's all in. Hosea says, I'll do it. So he takes her back. We don't really know for sure, but it looks like that marriage works out. That's not obvious to us through the whole story, but it appears that's what's happening. But in any case, God says, I want you to take her back because that's exactly what I'm going to do to Israel. I'm going to take Israel back. And then we read that piece about how I love Israel. How could I give her up permanently? So this, this verse 10 and 11, uh, somebody want to read that for us real quickly before we run out of time? Somebody read 10 and 11 there.
So this verse 10, he's saying, you are going to be a restored population, a restored population. And what is this a vision of? Let's look at Romans 9, 24 to 26. I'll read that to you, 9, 24, 26. This is, by the way, quoted from Hosea, uh, the I think in the third chapter, but it says, even us, this is Paul speaking, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And who who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So, like Israel... Like Israel, we were considered not loved and not my people. We were Gentiles. This is a picture of Christ and the church. This is a great picture in the Old Testament of Christ and the church. He's saying to us, you are not my people. You are not my loved But now you will be my people. You will be called sons of God, and you will be beloved. Does does that tie together? Do you see what Paul did? He ties this Old Testament back to the New Testament, showing us that God loved Judah. He saved them from Sennacherib. They eventually came through Jesse, came Christ. Christ then became the point at which we were grafted in. And because God, in his mercy, just like he said to Israel, he said, how can I do this to you? He's saying to us, how can I do this to the rest of you who are not part of the Jewish group? I want you all to be a part of my family. Do you see how this ties in? It is such a beautiful picture of what he's done for us. So when you read Hosea the next time, you think about all those names because they refer to where we were. They refer to our sin and how we were apart from God. And God said, I do not want that. I want to save you. Anybody want to say an amen to that? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're out of time. There's so much more here we could study. There's some stuff in the applications you guys will want to go look up and see just from verses. But it really is all about God saying, I love you. But he's also saying to us, I expect you to go out and do some things. Be doers of the word. Don't just listen. Don't become complacent like Israel did. And he said, I want to bring my blessings to you. I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to go out and tell the rest of the world what has happened to you, that you are not my loved and you are now my beloved. You are not my people and you are now part of the kingdom of God. And Lord, again, all we can do is say, here I am, Lord, use me. We'll give you all the praise and the glory and all God's people said. Amen, amen. Next week, we'll look at the wedding in Cana.